Good morning, everybody. We're back. Welcome back to Last Man Off the Bench. We've tried it twice before. Third time's a charm. I'm one of your hosts, Ethan McDougal, and joining me today is Caleb Lucas. Caleb, go ahead and say hi hey to everybody. Hey there. I'm excited for season three. We're going to try it one more time. This time, this time, I'm sure it'll stick. So... It, we're a Bulls podcast, and uh, there might have been some big news that happened over the weekend or Friday that could lead to this emergency two days after podcast that restarts our series. But first off, Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, it's a unprecedented amount, unprecedented amount of optimism going into this one. It feels good to be a big Bulls fan today. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, why don't you tell us why, Caleb? Well, if we backtrack a little bit, uh, the first big uh, block to fall was the guard packs either being kicked out or reduced their role significantly, uh, bringing in Mark Eversley. And uh, I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to try to butcher this one. You got it down. Arturus Karnishevis. And what are, what are their roles? Is it uh... So Arturis steps into the role that we kind of associated Jim or John Paxson with. He's the vice president of basketball operations. And Mark Eversley takes over the general manager position from Gar Foreman. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they're the new Gar packs, basically. Um, not in any mannerisms or anything, but yes, in function. They're the two heads of the basketball team, basically. It's good to see. It's, and, uh, and what's crazy is that they both come from winning organizations that have no ties to the Bulls. It's great. It's like uh, just a fresh start kind of feel to it. Yeah. Know? I, I, I'm sure there's going to be some bumps along the way, but right now, at least, at least we're out of the out of the rut. You're right, and we completely lifted ourselves out from this rut on Friday. Mm-hmm. Because Boylan Jim, being axed. Jim Boylan, the longtime interim head coach of the Bulls, has finally been shown the door. He punched out for the last time today, or on Friday, actually. Yeah. Yeah, this is it's uh yeah he's out yeah i remember uh i was at work and it was uh early morning and i got a text from ethan and it was just uh he's out he's axed i was like oh and uh, i got the notifications it was man it was a uh, it's like a early birthday it i what it happened so fast it felt felt like because I woke up at like 8 15 you know nothing was happening so I went got cleaned up and everything and then I came back at 8 30 my phone was blowing up notifications everywhere and at first I thought it was a joke I thought someone had you know made a fake watch account or something and so I checked the real watch and you know I've got the tweet pulled up here on August 14th Watch tweeted, the Bulls have fired Jim Boylan. And I think that might be just the first day of our rest of our of the rest of our lives. 
Yeah, especially as Bulls fans, yes. It's a, man, it, it's a big step. Yeah, and like, I've talked to some people who weren't savvy about what the Bulls were doing, and the common question was, so what? It was just a coaching decision. But it doesn't feel like it. This Jim Boylan being removed is super symbolic. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just like kind of the cutting the ties with, uh, like similar to the Gar Pact move. I think mm-hmm. this is like a, it's the more, uh, man, I can't think of the word. It's like, a, it's more apparent. Like that's the one that people see more often is like, oh, the coach. No one, it, most people watching basketball games don't really care about the, the who the GM is and president of basketball operations and all that. Mm-hmm. Or, and the like, image that Boylan projected was not the best. No, no. I mean, I, I was thinking like if we just go over just his, his tenure there, like if it's starting out over two seasons, going uh, 39 and 84, albeit he didn't have the best <laughs> players there. Okay. I, the, I think uh, any Bulls fan or any NBA fan would know that they don't have the most well-constructed team, but they right. do have a lot of young pieces and he did uh, everything to harm that development for those yeah, guys. I think Kobe you said, did. you said something about him not doing anything good. Yeah. Yes. I think I, yeah. I mean, they, uh, right before we started this, I was this morning, I was past couple of days looking over uh, kind of what he did as a coach. And I could not find a single good thing until right before we started this. He was a straw that broke the camel's back on the car tax <laughs> trade. And I, that's coach of the year material for me. That's, he cleaned house. He did. It, he stumbled into a new era for the Bulls. Yes. Is that, <laughs> then, Jim Boylan might be my, might be my favorite coach then. He caused all this. He's yeah, he's the catalyst. Um, but uh, yeah, like if we just want to go through, like just from memory, he he becomes uh, the Bulls release Hoidberg. Mm-hmm. Boylan steps in as the interim, and what does he do? He he spews that oh, I was a I was an assistant for uh, Greg Popovich and started yep. doing one sprints and push ups in practice every day. And what a, yeah, what was that? The the players after three days. Three days, they uh, yeah. they almost had a mutiny. They filed yeah, they, something in the NBPA for uh, excessive practicing and too hard practices, which is just insane to me. So yeah, his it sounded like his players had a, wanted to have a mutiny within three days. I think they even yeah they had that uh, players only meeting. I think in that same week or so. And then Boylan shoots back with the coaches only meeting. It was, it's just like, I, it seemed like he was like trying to open a rift to begin with. Yeah. I mean, this all came on the heels of, and I think I watched the Celtics game. Did you watch it with me? It was a Celtics game that the Bulls were in uh, Chicago for. And they went down early. And so the first, like, it looked like the first decision Boylan did as a coach was sub out all five guys at once. Yeah, it's like one of those ones. Like, yeah. yeah, they did the kind of the bench swap kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. 
And uh, the Bulls ended up losing by, I think, like 60 points at home. It was one of the largest oh. home losses. And that's what set everything off. That was his tone setter. Yeah. It was just, it's that's like, just like you can go with these anecdotes all in all, like keep going. Yeah. Even later on, the, the players, like they're so open. Like I was thinking about it. Another like kind of storyline of like a disgruntled player this year was Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Mike Malone out in Denver. And that was only – it was Michael Porter Jr. got inconsistent. Time. Like he'd go games with 20 minutes and play well. And then next week he'd like, – garbage time. And, like, it, I, I couldn't tell. Like, if you were just watching the games, like, it might be, like, a small talking point of, like, oh, he's had inconsistent playing time. But it, it never became public. That like uh like openly Michael Porter Jr. saying Mike Malone is not giving me enough minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you juxtapose this to uh, I was uh, watching that clip of uh, Zach Levine. Uh, what game was it? It was that uh, it was a pretty close game, and he had forty points. And uh, and you can see Zach Levine point at the scoreboard and say, "Yeah, I've got forty points. We're down by I think it was a Thunder game." And uh, they're down by like four points while uh, thunders while the thunders are uh, shooting free throws in like the final minutes. And it's like, man, it's it, you can see that open rift in like the players don't like him. The not not to speak for the players, but everything that was presented to us seems like the players don't like them. You yeah, know, there, there's quotes all and to be to be honest with you, why would they? There was that point in the Mavericks game that Daniel Gafford went down with an ankle injury while the Bulls are on offense. Oh, this and is the one where Boylan didn't call a timeout? Boylan didn't like, call what is a timeout. The Mavericks intentionally yeah. fouled after the after they went down and back to get the sub. Yeah. Yeah, Boylan, <laughs> Boylan didn't want to call a timeout because who knows? So Rick Kyle. Like, I don't know. the Bulls have a fast break the best time first that's like the one trend that he was doing like uh, at least twice a game they get a other team misses they get a rebound they're kicking it out the guy crosses the timeline and Boylan calls a timeout on like a three on two or something yeah that, he was, but then he wouldn't call timeouts on any runs no no he was like oh we got to play through the play through the lows I guess but he I mean, there was that anecdote, speaking of the players seeming to not like Boylan, there was that anecdote that about Lowry, and I think it was on Lowry Marketing, and I think it was on a Finnish radio, um, where he was talking about his touches, Lowry was, and Lowry said, you know, I used to be getting over 100 cut touches, and now I'm getting 80 touches a game. And so he went to talk to Jim Boylan about trying to up his touches. And Boylan said, well, to get more touches, all you need to do is get more offensive rebounds. And Lowry said on this radio host, you know, I think it's hard to get 30 offensive rebounds a game to make up for his lack of touches. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you compensate it? It it, it seems like it was kind of backwards. Yeah. And let me let me bring up this article because it's not just a player's issue with Jim Boylan. Um, 
Chris Fleming, the top, top assistant coach for the Bulls, sounded like he didn't like him either. This is, uh, this is from Dan Bernstein. This is a quote from Dan Bernstein on the score of 670. Fleming was keeping his powder dry regarding how actively he contributed as an in-game assistant, where it would take a villager to steal, village to steer Jim Boylan to keep him on the road, essentially, in a game. And Fleming chose not to do that. One, because it would be nearly impossible, and two, because it's one of those things where sometimes you're better off just letting a guy show who he is, and that might be better for your long-term future. And I that's appreciate a, him for that. That's a top, one of the top gets in the offseason. We talked about Chris Fleming and Roy Rogers. Mm-hmm. And him saying that Boylan was a lost, clo- lost cause, apparently he, Boylan wouldn't even help or Boylan wouldn't even take Chris Fleming's help. It just, yeah, like it, 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 this could go on and on. It's just like it's – I'm surprised it took almost, like, what is it, two seasons as a head coach for, for this to happen. It's just like it's, like, demoralizing as a, uh, as a Bulls fan. Yeah, I mean, we we watch so many games with the Bulls, and yes, almost every game was a chore to watch because of his coaching. He it looked like Is he did nothing like a, on his coaching alone. Yeah, it looked like he did nothing to develop the players. He didn't put them in the right spots for them to succeed. I mean, Wendell Carter Jr. was not being used as Wendell Carter should be used. Yeah, we can speak about that. I think he's like, I feel like with those two young big men, I think it's a big confidence thing where they're young. They're capable of being involved in the offense of having a bunch of touches. I think, uh, sorry, like neither of them, I don't think need it. They're not on ball creators per se. Mm -hmm. But if we want to kind of touch on like their progression going forward, I think that it's like uh, at least Wendell Carter, it seemed like at times he would refuse to look at the rim unless a foot was in the paint. Or if he was at the top of the key and he'd square up that three after standing there for five seconds. It's like a, I, I think it's just like a confidence thing with, with Wendell Carter. Also, he's had the injury bug. But I think one of his biggest strengths that's never used is that passing. Yeah, he, Not he was a good playmaker in Duke. Yeah, yeah if he, you could, he can make the right pass. Like some kind of – you can run something similar to what Denver does with Jokic at the high post. Clearly, I, I, Wendell is not Jokic, but he's like a – just being able to run actions around him and allowing him to process it and make the correct read. Mm-hmm. And the Bulls don't have like a like a 100% playmaker. No, so having, yeah. having like that a, guy at the five, you know? Yeah, kind of like a, being – uh, able to supplement that playmaking for the mm-hmm. other guys. It kind of, I think it's beneficial. I think he was a great pick there. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and then Laurie, I believe it's the same thing where like you said, the touches in the league like two years ago. If you got that defensive rebound and you pushed it up, it felt like there was like he was getting to the rim or he was uh, getting an easy lay down for, uh, some, for a teammate. Mm-hmm. And I I wouldn't be surprised if his lack in production this year 
was him putting so much pressure on himself to make the most of every touch that he could. With he was trying to yeah overcompensate for that lot, loss of touches where he felt like he was he had to get his numbers still. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah you could kind of see that where if he got the ball it was either he'd pass it right back or he'd get he'd basically be a ball stopper and kind of just force some action going on. And I don't think right. it, it didn't look good. But that that's over with now. He's gone. The bad man's gone, Caleb. We don't have to worry about Jim Boylan's coaching decisions anymore. Yeah, speaking of coaching decisions, I think like uh, this player development and coaching, it kind of leads into who's going to be the next guy to follow him up. Who's going to be the, the new face of this regime? Yeah, it's – and. You know, before we touch on that, I just want to talk about the process of this. Because I I think this is the first time in 10 years that the Bulls have had an honest-to-goodness coaching search. Yeah, I can't can't think of – like, all the coaching searches I can think of was the – Boylan was an intern. And then uh, what about Hoidberg? Hoidberg was earmarked from the start. Like Yeah, yeah. When Thibodeau was on his last legs, everybody knew it was going to be Hoiberg. They said they did a coaching search, but there was no interviews except for Hoiberg, I don't think. And I mean, look yeah. how look how Hoiberg. I think like, I thought that Hoiberg. Yeah, I, I don't think Hoiberg. I, that was a mess in itself. That's a whole nother thing. But I think I think the text did the Hoiberg move was uh, with Brad Stevens. I, they, in all honesty, Hoidberg and Stevens, they look pretty similar. They, uh, they're both college coaches. I, I just you, think that Brad Stevens has uh, to project to the NBA. Could you say that thought again? I couldn't quite get you. Uh, which part? That uh, I think Hoidberg Stevens. Oh yeah, I think it was just like. Uh, Overall, I think they were just trying to mimic that move of going with the trend of going with the younger faces. And that kind of, yeah, I think that's kind of uh, uh, something with the news about the candidates that uh, the Bulls are looking at. They're looking at a lot of uh, first-time head coach kind of candidates, which, uh, right? Like uh, first time being head coaches in the NBA. Uh, I I think it was... uh, I forget which radio show I was listening to, but there's a good note on how the NFL and NBA, it seems like in the NFL, they're always bringing in new young coaching talent, or at least new cohort, while the NBAs, it's like, oh, you can see with the Knicks. They, they didn't really, I don't, I didn't see much of a search there, and they go right back to Tibbs, who's been uh, bouncing around the league for like the past, what, uh, 12 years or so? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's kind of it's kind of nice to compare ourselves to the Knicks and think about the man that they brought in for mm-hmm. the job, and think about the people that we're going that the Bulls are trying to hire. I I'll go through that list right now. Uh, yeah. I believe it was Wodge that was re- tweeted out this list, but it is Kenny Atkinson, yep. Yudoka. 
Wes Unsell Jr., Darvin Ham, and Steven Silas. So on a on a high level, Caleb, what sticks out about those names? A lot of those, it's uh, uh, they've been on recently successful teams in their tenures. I mean, you look you you look at Kenny Atkinson, who kind of kind of turned around the nets there. Uh, you got that uh, Wes Unsled Unsled with the, uh, the Nuggets, and they've done great with player development in that. But uh, mm-hmm. and also the link to the new uh, president of basketball operations, right? Yeah. But, uh, does anybody really stand out to you, or do you do you want to kind of like go through their kind of backgrounds? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through them real fast. So Kenny Atkinson, like you said, is probably the most well-known coach out of that bunch, and he was the coach of the Nets. And the Nets kind of – the Nets did turn it around while he was there because they were still reeling off of that Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. And the fallout from that was that they didn't have any picks and so Kenny kind of turned it around without any big first-round picks. I think the highest one was Karis LeVert, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that was, yeah. And then um, Ime Odoko with the 76ers. He's one of the highest-paid assistant coaches in the league. Um, and he's been, talk- he's been talked about with the Bulls a lot. Because mm-hmm. uh, Eversley's from uh, the Sixers as well, yep. right? So there's the, mm-hmm. the link there. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Wes Unsell Jr., who came, who's with the Nuggets. You know, Pernicious has that, um, has that tie there. He's he's very defensive minded as a coach. Everybody talks about his defensive acumen. And then let's see who else. Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham is. Well, I want to get to who you're interested in. Darvin Ham is probably the one that I've been interested in the most. He was yeah. a one. He was a one-time He's, player. He went to the Lakers for a little bit, and since 2013, he's been with Mike Budenholzer. So he mm-hmm. went with Atlanta and now to Milwaukee. And everybody that I've seen talk about him, even George Carl, said that Darvin Ham was ready for a head coaching job. And then last one is Stephen Silas. With the Dallas Mavericks, he seems like a offensive genius when it comes to that because Dallas Mavericks, I think they best put offense up, uh, in the league. I, I thought it was like all, of all time the big one by that uh, offensive rating. Like, I, I think you might be right. Yeah, I but think that was the big note from them this year. Historically good offense. Mm-hmm. Bulls definitely struggled with offense. Yeah, it's been a quite. It's been a big weak point there, but yeah. I think it's not even just like the personnel are bad at defense. I think it's just like the schemes and everything felt like it was uh, outdated. I mean, there were multiple times where Bulls would get a twenty-four second call after a timeout, so Boylan would draw up an ATO set, and they would spend more than twenty-four seconds executing that one set, and they wouldn't have a bucket. Anything is better than that. Yeah. But we're, we're not here to talk about the past. We're here to talk about the future. So, Caleb, what, what sticks out to you on that list? What, is, what piques your interest? 
Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the Kenny Atkinson. I think he's got the, at least in, in my mind, like the most uh, kind of proven, like the situation is going from one situation, uh, a similar situation in Brooklyn to uh, Chicago with as far as uh, having this kind of budding stars and kind of player development situation of kind of making that next step after building up assets mm -hmm. and taking that step to getting to the playoffs and then going from there and building up from there. And clearly you got the nets from a bottom team in the league to uh, getting uh, shooting for the playoffs being like a late lottery team. Yeah, and I mean, look at that team. Has there has there been anybody who hasn't really improved? Like Jared Allen has taken steps. I mean, when D'Angelo D'Angelo Russell came in, he does. He, yeah, he went. He took off there. Yeah. yeah. Do you think of Karis LeVert taking the steps towards uh, from being seen as like a foot out of the uh, foot out the door from uh, leaving the NBA to uh, kind of being seen as the third piece? on a uh, contender next year. Yeah. I mean, the elephant in the room for Atkinson is why did he get fired? Is that a KD and Kyrie decision or is that something to do with his coaching acumen? That's something that could, it'd be interesting to have more information on that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this article now and it's saying that like even the the, or was that the split was mutual, I should say. So gotcha. Clearly so something, they, something came up where maybe they're thinking of going in different directions, clearly acquiring Katie and Kyrie and one off season uh, kind of changes the whole dynamic of how he has to, how he should be coaching the team. Mm -hmm. There is one name that we didn't bring up. And I just want to touch on it very briefly, and then we can get back to these coaching hires. But mm -hmm. um, Adrian Griffin had been rumored in that first wave of who the Bulls were looking at before Boylan got fired. It was like Ime Udoka and Adrian Griffin. And he's not on this list now, and I think there's a good reason for that. Yeah, those accusations that came out from his ex-wife. Yes. I, I, it should be taken very seriously. And uh, Yeah. He has denied it, but like, until it gets to the bottom of that, I don't think uh, any team should be uh, reaching out to him. Right. The Raptors have opened up an investigation mm -hmm. on that matter. And we, uh, it would be a terrible mistake to hire someone with that investigation ongoing because they're very yes. serious accusations. And yes, yeah. They should they should be taken very seriously. Yes. Uh, so I think it's kind of taking them out of the running for any position, which is until there's a conclusion to this. Right, which is there. the cor the correct move. Um, but now that now that we've kind of addressed that, and what what else do you think about this list? Do you have any thoughts about you know Ime Uduk? Ime Udoka or Wes Unseld? Because those seem to be the the two big names that yeah, have been, been kind of leading it. Yeah. Yeah. Ime Udoka, 
uh, kind of looking at his background. It, like it's it's a really solid background. I just see the the Greg Popovich. Uh, like I, I haven't read anything about him as a third person, but he's got the similar background to uh, Boylan as far as being from the Popovich tree. Uh, he also was, yeah, he was from the Popovich tree before going over to the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And you're not saying he's like Boylan, but he, we've kind of been soured on Popovich prospects. He, yeah, and when, when Boylan is saying you should do it my way because I was, I was uh, I, I, just that whole approach kind of soured it. So I'd be I'd like a, I think I may be a bit over protective and saying like I, I'm not the biggest fan of it right off the bat, but. Mm-hmm. You you have a valid reason though. Boylan constantly brought up that he was he's right because he's from the Popovich family. Yeah. Um, but just from like a just from a straight brass tax standpoint, he is one of the highest paid paid assistant coaches in the league, and he's got to be making that money somehow. Yeah, the Sixers. Roster construction is not really conducive to any sort of normal offense. Oh yeah, no, not with uh, the old school big and Joel Embiid, and then a uh, point forward in Ben Simmons. I mean, it's just like those two together, they alone kind of feel like early two thousands paint cloggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it seems like you're you're a pretty big fan of Dart and Ham. Do you want to go into what you like about him or? Yeah, so I am infatuated with Mike Budenholzer. He he's almost he's kind of like our generation's seven seconds or less, D'Antoni. Not the six five or under D'Antoni, because that's that 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 is crazy galaxy brain stuff. But Budenholzer looks at his roster and he devises the best scheme for that roster. I think he does that better than a lot of coaches in that league, you know, um, featuring around Giannis and Brooke Lopez defensively. And um, there was an anecdote about how his practices are scheduled and he is so precise that every minute of his practice is scheduled in a certain way so they can maximize the minutes. And he's had success in Atlanta and Milwaukee that have had very different rosters. And, you know, thinking about it, Bulls roster is definitely more Atlanta-leaning than than Milwaukee. There's there's not a Giannis on the Bulls. Right. Yeah. But I think having – that guy and he he's kind of the new the new crop of coaches yeah if, yeah where the 2000s might have had doc rivers and greg popovich i think now it's kind of nick nurse and mike Budenholzer. you know as those opposite sides of the same coin but darvin ham coming up from that tree and you know he's been He's worked in the G League. He coached with Kobe and Powell. And, you know, he's got, he's got a gravitas with him that comes from being an old player in the league. And he's not like a great – he wasn't a great player in the league. He's right in that sweet spot of players that 
know the game well enough to play and know the game well enough to communicate what they know. And that coupled with all of the praise that I've heard for him from George Carl, who he had worked with a lot of guys smarter than me have said that Dyron Ham has been waiting for this shot for a while. And I just, I just think it would be nice I think it to also be a fun storyline. Yeah. With uh, going within the division. Yeah. He knows a lot about Milwaukee. I mean, if you know a lot about Milwaukee, you know a lot of ways to beat Milwaukee. At least I hope. Yeah. I, no, one, no one is really talking about Steven Silas. And I don't know. He is – it looks to me that he's kind of the oldest of the group. He started in – he got into the league in 1999, but he was as a scout. And, I mean, he's been with the Wizards – He's been with Charlotte, and he's worked with the Dallas Mavericks. That's he, – he has been considered for Atlanta, Charlotte, and Houston head coaching positions, which brings me to a point. Houston seems like they're not going to continue holding on to Mike D'Antoni. Do you think Mike D'Antoni would be a good fit with this Bulls roster? Would you want Mike D'Antoni as your coach of the Bulls? I think – I will say no. I think he's a good coach. Okay. I don't know if the Bulls are in the spot to I, – I think of D'Antoni as kind of that guy that comes in like uh, right after like uh, the – who's that? From Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. They were good under Mark, Mark Jackson, but then Steve Kerr kind of put the, the finishing touches on there and then they became the, the Warriors dynasty. I think – Dan Tony takes a team from being kind of that uh, in the contention for being like a top team in the conference to being a contender for a title. So, so I don't think, I don't think, yeah, I don't think, I think the Bulls have a, a bit of a ways to go before uh, Dan Tony would be a uh, beneficial. So if we put that into your lexicon, would you call Dan Tony a ceiling raiser? Yes. Yes. <laughs> In the most extreme way. But I, I don't I, – I think D'Antoni, like, I think he's working it out with Houston. I, you think so? I think it took some, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, you could see Houston throughout the year at some point when uh, whoever – if it was Russell Westbrook himself or the team or the coaching staff got him to say, hey, he's going to play, like, uh, similar to Ben Simmons as a – he's going to put a lot of pressure going downhill – not the biggest threat from outside of 15 feet. I, he's got that kind of that pull-up 15-foot bank shot, which is it's real nice. He's been using that really effectively, and he's, it seems like he's been a lot more accurate with that than uh, kind of these uh, fast break, pull-up threes and all that. So there's been some adjustments. He's playing a, a six foot five P.J. Tucker at center, and then Robert Covington at power forward. It's, it's pretty wild to watch. Which is super cool, by the way. It, it, I'm seeing some apprehension in your eyes. You don't think it's super cool? I think it's great. I mean, it's I, – I don't know how it's – we'll see when it comes to the playoffs how they're doing. I think they fared decently in the bubble, but I think the bubble was more of a uh, 
they're in the playoffs and trying to get the rust off the chains going into that uh going into those playoffs starting today but uh I, I, it's, I'm waiting for it to prove itself as either a, a good one and like a, if it can be adjusted to within a series. Gotcha. Do you, can you think of any other head coaches around the league that you might want? I'm not a head coach, but I, I have, uh, I, I've been looking at this one guy. I, I think it's uh, from the Celtics. His name is uh, Brandon Bailey. He's uh he's been with them for quite a few years now. Uh, he's an assistant for Brad Stevens. He was there with uh, Doc Rivers. That's impressive. A holdover from one coach to another in the assistant coach yeah. staff. Yeah, I my big uh, my big things for uh, he's a Chicago kid. Uh, grew up in Chicago. He coached at uh, DePaul for a while. Uh, I believe on the women's team, but like still, he's got Chicago connections. Mm-hmm. He's he's from a he's got he's been behind some great guy some great uh, coaches. I believe he's the main assistant right behind Brad. But, uh, he has experience with uh, coaching in the uh, the G League with the main Red Claws uh, the past uh, two seasons, not this season, but uh, the two seasons prior to that. But uh, yeah, I'm. I don't think he. I don't think he's ready to take that uh, next step into being the. I, I don't. I don't think he should be in the running for it. But I think he's somebody that I think would be fun to have on the coaching staff if we can pull him out from the Celtics. Yeah, having a Chicago Chicago native on the staff is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. ju- and other and just like some coaching staff news, um, both Chris Fleming and Roy Rogers, they have not had their contracts terminated or anything like that. So they, right I'm, now they, they're on the holdover. And we had talked about them they, last season about being like very highly regarded assistant coaches, Rogers on the yeah. defense. Go on. I think I, I was going to say, like, I think those guys, I don't think they're necessarily in the hot seat, but I think it's similar to how this Boylan thing played out where they're, Waiting, I think once the Bulls get a new, once they hire a head coach, I think uh, the best decision would say, hey, that head, co- head coach, do what you want with the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Or I think it, those two guys, they are very highly touted assistants. I just, I, I can't say, I don't, I don't know if they'll be around next season, depending on right. who they hire and all. There was one person that was extended. And that is Nate Lozner, I believe. He he just exercised the contract option, so I th- so I believe that's just like a one year continuation. And he, you know, it, I I don't think that it would stop a new coach from replacing him. But he was the coach of the summer league Bulls team, I believe. Okay. So there might just be some continuity in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's it seems like there's some good pieces on this coaching staff as is. It's just like uh, they just have to if the head coach fits with them or if they end up just getting booted out to mm-hmm. just clean the house. I'm fine with either one as long as it uh, as long as it leads to success down the road. Right. And so put let's get it official. You want Kenny Atkinson as your head coach? 
Oh, out of all of Kenny these Atkinson. Yeah, Kenny Atkinson would be okay. uh, my favorite for the time being. Uh, which Who are you leaning towards? I'm, I think I'm going to lock it in for Darvin Ham. I, I do okay. want to preface that with, um, you know, I think that Karnishevis and Eversley has, have earned the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not going to be upset with any coaching hires. Yeah. But I think Darvin Ham would be cool is basically yeah, what I'm saying. There's a lot of good – I think the candidates that, that they're looking at are pretty promising. Yeah. I mean, there's a not them, a bad one yeah. in the pool right now. And, like, the thing that I'm seeing with, all, with a lot of them is getting either the most out of a player or unlocking the potential from players. So you look at the – from uh, the Budenhoser with Darvin Ham with uh, – I was thinking this past season, the past two, I guess, Brooke Lopez becoming a elite rim protector and three-point shooter last season. The shooting's kind of been – missing this year but he's mm. still been he's still been a great uh, rim protector as well as uh unlocking uh, Dante DiVincenzo as kind of this kind of filler player that's kind of come off the bench or played spot starters uh, minutes and yeah he fills in the cracks of, he, DiVincenzo he fills he fills a lot of cracks and they've kind of unlocked him as this kind of uh perimeter kind of wrecking ball to kind of stick on a defender mm-hmm and then, uh, like, going through it, like, even uh, Wes Unseld uh, Jr. from the Nuggets. The Nuggets, I, I, don't, I can't say he's done it personally, but they've, they've done a great job with picking up and uh, developing players over the past, what is it, seven, eight years. You got Jokic, uh, Nurkic was, was budding, and then they traded him to Portland. You look at MPJ this year. Uh, just like a, they've Jamal done a great Murray. job. Jamal Murray, Will Barton. You could, the, there's so many players on that team that they're young guys that they've just kind of unlocked. They, they've used them to, in their best roles and uh, kind of got the most out of them. The Jamal Murray thing really sticks out to me because he was a player that that front office identified from the draft. They identified the talent. They picked up the talent. They developed the talent, and then they rewarded the talent with a big contract extension to keep that talent mm-hmm. on the team. Yeah. When was the last time the Bulls did that? From start to the first contract. <laughs> and it, I think uh, you might be referencing your talking about this most recent one, the Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I think I might be. I think I might be talking about Jimmy Butler, who wanted a little bit more than they were wanting to offer. And Foreman and Paxson turned them down. I think the issue was forty-four million to forty-eight million, but my memory could serve me wrong. But it's, it's over. A, yeah, they can't it's, hurt it's us in anymore. The past. Yeah, they've done their damage. Uh, I think leads perfectly into Kenny Atkinson picking up the pieces from a uh, a ruined franchise. Yeah, He's done I'm, it once before. I'd like to see him do it again. That's a good point. For all of this uncertainty, Kenny Atkinson has kind of done this before. Yeah. Um, and I, looks, I think he's got a similar track record in his tenure with uh, player development on the Nets. Like we, we mentioned it before, but D'Lo, uh, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie kind of, uh, he's worked his way in. Uh, Joe Harris went from being a... Uh, end of bench band the Cavs early on and is now 
one of the best shooters in the league. Yeah. Jared Allen, you mentioned, like they've, they've had a bunch of pieces that they've developed over the years. And some of those players, I think, fall closer to how uh, some Bulls players project, like uh, Jared Allen to a Wendell Carter. I don't think Wendell Carter is ever going to be a primary scorer, but he's a centerpiece, a cornerstone for the team. Yeah, he is. He might be, while he's not the uh, primary scorer, he might be the linchpin Wendell Carter for both offense and defense. Because he's a, he's a great defender already. He's a little undersized at the center position, but he, he understands those schemes very well. And on the offensive end, like we were talking about earlier, he can distribute the ball. At Duke, he could shoot it. I don't know if Boylan said, no, we don't want you I, to take that. Yeah, I, I think there's something along there, like I mentioned. Wendell, he, he, he didn't look at the rim. Yeah. But it looks like we're kind of we're kind of cutting it close on time. So before we head off, the lottery starts on Thursday. I believe that's Thursday, the, yes. That's the 20th, or is that – am I correct there? Uh, what's the, is that the 20th? Yeah, that'd we're, be the 20th, yeah. Okay, yeah, we're the 20th. So, look, two scenarios here. Bulls get first and Bulls get seventh, picking the lottery. Who are you taking for each of those scenarios? You're our draft guru here, Caleb, and I know I put you on the spot. But I, know, uh, but say, I wouldn't put you on the spot without me knowing that you'd already have an answer for it. I'd say number one, uh, I'd go with LaMelo. I think he's got the one of the – he's – a generational playmaking talent. Okay. My concerns with him are, I'll save the spiel, but uh, I'm worried about a Levine LaMelo backcourt on defense. And then at number seven, uh, the, the issue with this draft is that everybody from like five to 14 can fall somewhere in that range. <laughs> but I like, I like some players that are more complimentary and uh, on the wing uh, to name a couple Isaac Okoro out of Auburn, uh, Devin Vassell out of Florida State, and uh, Patrick Williams also out of Florida State. Those three players kind of stand out to me as some complementary wing pieces that would kind of fill the role of what uh, we thought Chandler Hutchinson could be. Right. All right. Do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm ready for episode two. Me too. Will – See you guys next week, and next week we'll probably get a little bit more into the draft now that we know now that we'll have our lottery position and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. in the meantime, be exciting. Yeah, and I'm ready to get angry again that when Bulls get seventh overall, four years in a row. Four years. I I know that it's all luck, and I know that there's nothing that we can do about it. But man, does it get me frustrated every time right outside of the elite player threshold yes. and right below the uh, lottery steals. We, you know, we missed on Jarrett Culver by one pick. I will see how that turns out. I, I yeah. still really like him as a player, but he's, he has a lot more on. Uh, he hasn't trans translated to the NBA. Right. Well, and, so. you know, I, I'm wearing a Kobe White jersey right now. Oh, come on. But, I like Kobe White. I know you don't, and we'll get into that at some point. We'll put your thoughts. Yeah, down. well, maybe next week. So we'll yeah. put a we'll put a plug in it for now, and it's been a it's been a great uh, first episode, season three, last man off the bench.
Yeah. Thanks for listening. Feels good to be back. All righty. We'll see you guys.